Amen. Turn around and say hello to someone, then be seated. All right, I'm going to need about four men to help me out. I have a chart that I would like to distribute. We're going to show it up online here. It's a chart about the day of the crucifixion. I need two more, one more. All right, all right, divide that up four ways, please. Four ways, and everybody gets one. Put the extras in the back. This is a chart that some of you have seen before. The day of the crucifixion. Now, traditional religion tells you some things. But traditional religion is only correct if it agrees with the Bible. The Bible is our final authority for faith and practice. And traditional religion says that Jesus was crucified on a Friday, so-called Good Friday, and that He rose from the dead somewhere between Saturday night and Sunday morning. And somehow or another that fulfilled Scripture. But the Bible teaches very plainly. Jesus Himself said that even as Jonah was in the the belly of the whale, three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, be in the heart of the, of the earth, three days and three nights. Not parts of three days. As some people say, well, you know, when, you, when you're talking about time, part of Friday, part of Saturday, and part of Sunday. Uh, that makes three days. No, He was there three days and three nights. And as we look at the comparison of days, uh, under the day of the crucifixion and triumphal entry to resurrection chronology, it says Gentile or Roman days on top. That's what we have, Gentile or Roman days. So we got Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and so forth in the top. And you see the dark sections have to do with darkness. Part of each day is darkness. Our days begin at midnight, and they go until midnight. But Jewish days, the Hebrew or Jewish days, begin at sundown and go till sundown. So there's some overlap. So it begins with, uh, uh, it looks like a, a car, but it's actually Nissan. Uh, Nissan is a month that corresponds to our spring month of, uh, of uh, March slash April. So we have Nissan 10th, weekly Sabbath, which is the seventh day. Then we have, we have um, uh, the, the 11th, the 12th, the 13th, and the 14th. Uh, and on that day, uh, Jesus Christ was tried, taken out, and crucified, and he was placed in a borrowed tomb and spent three days and three nights in the grave. So the Last Supper was observed on Tuesday evening. Now, how many of you see that? You, you see that on the chart. It's very plainly laid out. This is going to rub some people wrong only because they've been taught something all of their life that's not true. And I am in the business of busting myths, okay? The Bible is not a myth. The Bible is absolutely true. Jesus was crucified on Wednesday and uh, on the evening of what we would call Tuesday evening, but it would be after sundown, so it's the beginning of Wednesday for the Hebrews. That's when he observed the Lord's Supper. He established the Lord's Supper uh, as they were uh, having the Passover meal together. He shoved aside the one uh, and started fresh. And we know that He broke the bread. Now, in the Passover meal, the Old Covenant, uh, the bread is now soggy because He's dipped it in the sop. How many of you remember that reference? All right, so now He takes fresh bread and fresh cup, and, and He gives them the symbolism of why He came. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to die for sinners. And He came to die for you. He came to die for you, my friend. He came to die for your neighbor. He came to die for your loved ones. Jesus died on the cross that for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He didn't stay in the grave. He was in a borrowed tomb 
Three days, three nights, he rose from the grave triumphantly. Boy, that must have been a wake-up call, a shaker-up for that Roman soldier that was standing guard in front of that big stone, and it got rolled away. Can you imagine that big, burly Roman soldier? I bet he set a new land speed record. Jesus rose from the dead and is alive forevermore. And there's more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there was for the presidency of George Washington at one time because above 500 brethren would testify to be willing to die for it. The disciples did die for Jesus Christ, their risen Savior, who rose from the dead. Not just a myth, not just made up. Fact, fact. All history was altered because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, mark this down, on Tuesday night, April the 12th, at 7.30, we're going to gather right here. And we want you to gather with us. We want you to come here. Prior to that time, Brother Neal is in charge of setting up the details. We'll have the table spread with the elements, and we'll have chairs. We'll call the gentlemen forth from the audience, and they will, they will serve up the elements to those in the uh, Central Baptist Church family that have come together to observe this Lord's Supper, observance. And it is, uh, it is symbolic. It represents what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to die, to be buried, to rise from the dead. Just like baptism pictures death, burial, and resurrection. How many of you got to see Quinn get baptized last week? All right, praise the Lord. And you remember those that have gone through the waters of baptism. Death, burial, resurrection. Well, here we have the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The elements that we will be having are prepared by our people. It is actual unleavened bread uh, that is not cut with a knife. Note that, all right? Everybody note that. Do not put a knife to the unleavened bread. It is to be broken, obviously gloved hands, but broken and then placed on the trays for us to, to receive a piece when we remember the broken body of our Savior Jesus Christ. Then when we take the cup, it is not fermented. Neither the bread nor the juice are fermented because fermentation, yeast, represents sin and Jesus had no sin in His life. And that's why it is unleavened, unfermented bread. That's why it is unleavened grape juice. And that is derived by squeezing the grapes. Our people will squeeze the grapes. Now, you're picturing some big vat with people jumping around in their feet. So we don't do that. But using a blender, I believe, the juice will be made, strained, and prepared, and it will come fresh that night. Now, I'm looking forward to it. If you've never been part of our Passover Lord's Supper observance, this is something you need to be at. And we need to make sure that all of our disabled and elderly folks are brought here that night. So how many of you would be willing to do something in that regard, bring some people here, and what a, what a wonderful evening it's going to be remembering why the Lord Jesus came. Of course, that brings up the, the subject of the Sunday surrounding. Palm Sunday is the 10th, a very special Sunday. We'll have palms and we'll talk about what they represent. When Jesus Christ was hailed and they cried, Hosanna! to him, and then they, their, their voices changed, and they said, crucify him later on. But we're going to talk about that on April the 10th. On April the 17th 
is Resurrection Sunday, and we're going to start out with some music, some extra music, and you're going to be thrilled as you bring all of your family and friends, neighbors, and guests, and we fill this place up on what the world calls Easter. It's Resurrection Sunday. Now, moving on through what's coming up, we want you uh, to take those flyers that are out there on the Welcome Center. Come and celebrate with us. Also, all of our visitation packets include an enclosed flyer like that. And uh, we have coming up on April the 30th, a special ladies and girls spring tea. We have flyers for that, and you can pick those up. Uh, the theme, should I share with them? Want me to share you? Okay, all right. Share is apron strings and pockets. Apron strings and pockets. Oh my, come find out. You'll enjoy delicious food, fellowship, lots of fun surprises and prizes, and it's <clears throat> free, F-R-E-E, -E, free. All right, that's Saturday, April 30th, ladies and girls at 1 p.m. Don't miss it. You can have a wonderful time. I'd like to thank those who filled in this morning. God bless you for filling in and those regular Sunday school teachers, but we were down some teachers because of travel, sickness, and so forth, and Today we had some people step up, Gabe, didn't we? Praise the Lord for that. Speaking, speaking of Gabe, we got a wedding coming up, and it's this Saturday, April the 2nd, 11 a.m. right here, and everybody is invited, all right? Gabe and Quinn, stand up. Gabe and Quinn, stand up, all right? They've done this before. They've, they're standing up, all right? This Saturday, 11 a.m., all right, April the 2nd, you come. Everybody's invited. Everybody's invited. Let's give them a hand. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Been reading your Bible through. We have an app that's been prepared by Tyler. Read your Bible through lowercase.com. Read your Bible through. It uh, should be through Deuteronomy 32 and Acts 10 today. All right, we've covered all of that. How many of you have your bulletin today? There is a picture of a ruin on the front of it. And it's a symbolic picture. We could have gone either way with this. Uh, we could have had a picture of um, a broken life. We could have put the main character of today's message, a picture, a painting, uh, some kind of a characterization of Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in his lifetime, the emperor of the world empire known as Babylon, down on his hands and knees, eating grass like an animal, uh, living outside like an animal. What brought him so low? What caused this, this uh, once great edifice to become a ruin? I'm speaking a serious word of caution to those who do not trust the Lord absolutely and completely. Those who have God out of their thinking, out of their daily activities, or think of Him only as a spare tire God, an emergency plan B kind of God. Instead of constantly uh, abiding and trusting in Him, this is the result, a ruin, a ruined life, a destroyed relationship. Instead, our attitude ought to be as it is expressed in a hymn we sing so often, I need thee every hour. That's what our attitude ought to be. I think of Andre Crouch, now in heaven, who had that 
great song he wrote, To God be the glory, to God be the glory, to God be the glory for the things He has done. Proverbs chapter 3, you're not turning there, but we're going to be going to Daniel in just a moment. Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6, Tom Higgins' favorite verses say this, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Too many people try to trade places with God and direct their own paths and determine their own future. And in a very strong way, such as is expressed in that vile poem that we were forced to memorize. You remember it back in high school in literature, Invictus? You remember Invictus? Where, you, where the, the writer said that I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. I got news for you. You're not God. He is. And my soul has been conquered by the Galilean Jesus Christ. And I thank God that I am subject to Him. I thank God that I'm not responsible for the creation and sustenance of my own world. I'm thankful that God is in charge of my world. Praise the Lord. Pride is nothing more than defiant insistence that one does not need God, the God of the Bible, any God. I'm talking about God Almighty. I'm talking about the God who took the time to create everything out of nothing, who took the time to create you and me and to do so in His own image, who placed within us the breath of life, and made us a living soul. I'm talking about the God who cares about everything that you do and want and think. He cares about it. He knows about it even before you know about it. I'm talking about a God who wants to be intimately involved in your life. He wants you and He wants me to acknowledge Him. He wants us not to lean unto our own understanding. He does not want us to treat Him like the spare tire in our trunk. He wants to constantly be part of our life. He wants us to abide in Him. The Bible says, I can through Christ, but it doesn't say I can without Christ. I can through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. Through Christ. Through Christ. That's it. There are those who defiantly say, I'm going to go it alone. I'm just going to do my own thing without God. As reflected in the song. And I don't care who sings it, whether it's, whether it's Elvis or Sinatra or Sammy Davis Jr. When you sing, I did it my way, you're saying, I'm my own God. And that's wrong. That is wrong. We need to give God the glory. A few weeks ago I preached on glory and what the glory is and who's deserving of the glory. And Evangelist LeBeau wrote that song. Why doesn't somebody just give God the glory? Herod over in Acts chapter 12 stood up and he looked so, uh, so shiny in his outfit that somebody cried out to try to flatter him. It's a God! It's a God! And he Gave God not the glory, and the Bible says that in a short space of time, He died a horrific death. He was eaten of worms. And that's what happens. I can show you time after time after time in the Bible, those who have tried to take God's place, those who have said, I can control my own life. I can make my own decisions. I can do what I want to do. Pride can be manifest in many ways. It can be very blatant or it can be very subtle. For example, we as believers can, on the one hand, claim that God is our God and we thank Him, but we do it this way. We say, I thank God that I was able to accomplish this. 
I thank God that I was able to earn this. I thank God that I was able to attain this. And that's taking the glory from God, and that's absolutely wrong. I not only thank God, but I give Him all the glory. Amen. There are many who talk about the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and I agree there are some who err, uh, err in the subject of Lordship of Christ when they say that you, you can't be saved unless you make Him Lord over your life. Well, that's not true. But the truth of the matter is, He is Lord whether we acknowledge Him or not. And we need to acknowledge Him as such, as Lord over our life. We need to have a holy determination, but, but not bootstrap religion. We need grace. We need to have grace that emanates from our mind, our heart, and from our hands and in our deeds. We need to be very careful and watch out for false modesty or false humidity, which uh, when somebody compliments us on our accomplishment, and we say, oh, it was nothing. Oh, it was something. The very fact that God kept us alive, got us out of bed, got us up to accomplish whatever it was, is something. Give God the glory. Many people are idolaters, but only by a lesser degree than some others. We fail to give the credit, the glory, the praise, the honor, and we fail to be dependent totally upon the Lord. Now what happens when we bring ruin upon ourselves? There's hurt, there's pain, there's destruction. Many other people are affected, not only the individual. When we are brought low, when we are afflicted because of something that we have done, now it's true that some are hurting because of what others have done. I understand that. And I'm not speaking against you. And I'm not, and I'm not claiming that it's your fault. But I'm saying when people have self-inflected ruin in their life, those people are broken hearted. And we never run out of candidates to preach to. There are so many broken hearted folks and they were part of it. I like the song. I think of Jerry Horning every time. Uh, he, he wasn't the first one to sing it, but he sang it here so many times. And then when he took a little mini tour down through Georgia, I played, uh, I played piano for him in several places where he sang. And he sang, I can't heal a heart that's broken, make it over again. But I know a man who can. And today, I want to speak about the high price tag. On pride. When we go to the book of Daniel, it's in the Old Testament. Daniel, by the way, the name Daniel, the last part of the E-L, indicates his God, the true God of the Bible. Daniel, L, is God. When we see Nebuchadnezzar in verse number 1 of chapter 1, he's acknowledging his God, his false God, pagan God, with the first four letters of his name, Neba, Neba. And his false God certainly couldn't help him, as we're going to see today. There's a great parallel between the book of Daniel, the prophecy of Daniel, our situation today, and that situation in his day. In Daniel chapter 1, Daniel is a captive. He's been taken far from his home. But because of his blood and his birth, he is chosen among some of the elite to become a special class of uh, counselor and worker in the kingdom. And that's what the uh, Babylonians were famous for. When they would conquer people, they would take the brightest and the best, enslave them and cause them to benefit and, and thus build up their kingdom. 
And so in chapter number 1, Daniel refused to partake of the king's meat. And in the end, he, he uh, passed the test and was wiser and stronger than all the rest. And this was because Daniel had determined to make a difference. So over chapter 1, it's about Daniel determining to make a difference. Now the way Daniel made a difference was not by his own efforts, but by his trusting the Lord absolutely and completely. If today you want to make a difference in your neighborhood, if you want to make a difference in your society, if you want to make a difference in your school or on the job, or you want to make a difference in your family or in this church, you have to determine to follow the Lord. Do what the Lord says. Get into the Bible, read the Bible, find out the will of God that's found in the Word of God. Chapter number 2. Because Daniel was equipped, because he determined to make a difference, Nebuchadnezzar had a troubling dream and none of his specialists in that area who didn't know the one true God could interpret or even tell what the dream was. But they said, well, we know a fellow over here, he could interpret dreams. And he was called in to interpret. And there was a great image that represented the, the um, empires of that day, the great powerful kingdoms of that day. And he was able to uh, reenact and uh, tell the meaning of and apply the meaning of that great image that represented the kingdoms of the world then and future. Then in chapter number 3, Nebuchadnezzar had a very bad idea. He decided to put a golden image 90 feet tall in the, in the plain and demand everybody for a certain amount of time only fall down and worship it and nothing else. They put this great golden image down there and he had the music playing and everybody bowed down except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel must have been away at that time. He would have certainly joined his three friends. They were told they would give, be given another chance and they said, King, uh, we, we're not careful to answer. doesn't matter how many chances you give us. We're not going to bow down and serve. And, and our God is going to deliver us from the punishment and if He doesn't, we're still not going to bow down and serve. That's a good attitude. I like that. I like it. We put God first. And God takes care of those who do. They were thrown into the fiery furnace, which was many times hotter than it was ever before. And they, they came out of that fiery furnace with not even the smell of smoke on them. And God protected them. And Nebuchadnezzar looked in and said, not only, how many did we throw in there? Three. I see four. There's a fourth man in the fire. And he's walking around. That fourth man is none other than an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ walking around in the flames. Three went in, three came out. There's still one in the fire. When you find yourself in the fire, Jesus Christ will be in the fire with you. Just stand up for Jesus. Stand up and do what's right. Tell it like it is. Amen. Now we come to the fourth chapter. Now this is, this is, this is for us to take in and understand. In the fourth chapter, we're going to see how the pride of the greatest man in the world, as far as the world was concerned, brought him so very low. God's got a purpose. I want you to compare the lives of Daniel, whose life went on. He went through several different administrations, even a change of government, and he continued to be there in that position. God kept him because, what did he do? He had his focus right. He believed God. He trusted in the Lord. He acknowledged God. Nebuchadnezzar learned a hard lesson in chapter number 4. Like, like the folks in chapter 4, we in America have allowed outside error to, to creep in, outside attitudes, philosophies, worship, and lifestyle to creep in and to encroach in our life. That's what caused God's people to be taken captive and to be hauled off into Babylonian captivity 
because they weren't acknowledging the Lord in their life. If you just take a little bit, a sampler, just a little bit of the world, just a little taste of the world, just a little bit of their attitude, just a little bit of their dress code, just a little bit of their worship style, just a little bit of their lifestyle, pretty soon you're going to be in the same place that they found themselves. So God sent the invasion and eventually the captivity and they were carried off. And it's amazing, and isn't it ironic? I want you to mark it down. When they were captives, they finally learned not to be idolaters. When we have lost it all and we have been enslaved, then maybe we will learn not to sample of the world, the flesh, and the devil. In America today, and among Christians, and among those who claim to be Bible believers, there are so many, many lessons that we need to learn. Our scripture that's found on the front of the bulletin today, pride goeth before destruction and an haughty spirit before a fall. The words of Solomon, he wasn't the only one to write such words. We find those words throughout the Old and New Testament. We find uh, pride goeth before destruction, but we also find the proud in heart is an abomination. God hates that. A man's pride shall bring him low. We're going to see that. All of those things written by Solomon, who ought to know because he experienced that later in his life. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself said in Mark 9.35, If any man's desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And so we don't lift ourselves up. We're not, we're not in self-inflated and think that we're somebody or something. Paul wrote by inspiration, Be not wise in your own conceits. Be not wise in your own conceits. And so I say it again. Throughout the entire Bible, we understand and see firsthand the examples of those who lift themselves up, who in a, uh, a small way take the credit for themselves, or who in a great way acknowledge nobody but themselves. The Bible speaks of affliction. Affliction is going to come our way. Either we afflict ourselves or God's going to allow it to come. And He knows how to do that. God knows how to draw on that account. We're in Daniel chapter 4 now. Daniel chapter 4. And Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all people, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. Peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are His signs and how mighty are His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion is from generation to generation. Now you're saying to yourself, that's pretty good. That's about as good as it gets. Why is he going to go through these problems? This is what he said after the fact. He's about to relate what happened before he came to that position. He had already seen that Daniel was tested out to be better than everyone else when Daniel trusted the Lord. He has already seen the, the uh, truth of Daniel's uh, God-given ability to foretell the future in the dream that was interpreted in Daniel chapter 2, he has already seen the power of God to preserve uh, Daniel's friends in the fiery furnace and bring them out without injury, without a single hair of their head being affected by the intense flame. He's already seen that in spite of his own idolatry. And yet, he is going to be guilty of something. The, 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 the sentence is pronounced ahead of schedule. There is a tree vision that Nebuchadnezzar has. He was at rest in his house, flourishing in his palace. He saw a dream which made me afraid. And then it's interpreted for him, of course. And Daniel came in 
Uh, and uh, according to, and uh, he uh, uh, told the dream, saying, verse number 9 uh, and 10 and 11 and on about the tree and how uh, this was the foretelling of what was the consequence of Nebuchadnezzar's pride. His pride in saying, this is what I've done. Now I want to pick it up. I want to pick it up uh, in verse 28 where it says it came to pass. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. Now, he had been warned. He had been told what would happen. And the king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the, mighty, by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? What's he doing? He's taking the credit. He's taking the glory. He does this 12 months after he has been forewarned that he was going to be brought low because of pride. He does it anyway. While the world word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. That is a solemn word. The Lord is saying, that's it. You're going to be on hiatus. All right? You're going you're to take a little break from being king because you're not going to be able to be king for a while. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee. That's seven years until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. It's up to God to bless whomever he wants to bless, and it's up to God to give grace to others, and God will do just that. And it's not our place to complain about a situation or about a certain thing or accumulation of things that others may have. Everyone in the Bible who has ever done that has discovered that that's God's business and not our business. Our business is to acknowledge Him in all of our ways. Our business is to trust Him in all of our life, morning, noon, and night. His job is to direct our paths. And what God determines to give us or not to give us is God's business. And we ought to learn the, the lesson of contentment here and to be pleased and say, wow, I can't even imagine what God has granted to this empire. If Nebuchadnezzar had said, it's the God of Daniel who's done all this. I haven't done anything. Say, oh, but... but he sat on the throne. He made the proclamations. He organized the troops. He got his advisors. He, he did this. He made decisions. He wouldn't even have breath in his body or life were it not for God Almighty. And before we try to parse out credit and thanks, we better give it all to God. Give Him all the glory, all the praise, all the time. To God be the glory. As a result of Nebuchadnezzar saying, look what I did. Now, he is the king. But he said, look what I did. Look what I built. He's driven from men. The same hour, verse 33, the, was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar as he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the days, seven years worth, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven. There it is. Now let me suggest something. If he'd done this first, 
He wouldn't have had to do it under those circumstances last. We need to get in the habit first and not last. So what do we need to do? Lift up our eyes to heaven. Amen. And I blessed the Most High. We need to give God the glory. And two, I praised. And three, honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation. We're talking about that one who is honored from age to age, from glory to glory, from eternity past to eternity future. We're talking about the great I Am. We're talking about Jesus Christ, who is God in a body. He is the one that we ought to honor with our life. They asked me to pray down at the supervisors. Board of Supervisors, twice now I've been asked. The first time, they sent me a thick packet with the federal guidelines for prayers. Didn't know you had to have one. Somebody's overstepped their bounds. I believe in limited constitutional government. Amen. They sent me a thick packet, federal guidelines, what to say and not to say when you pray. Included in there, not to mention any specific deity by name. Number two, don't quote any scripture or sacred writings. Went on like that. I put it away. I called John Jenkins, who's now with the Lord. I said, John, I can't do that. He says, you do have a problem. I said, no, I'd say, I'd say our supervisors have a problem. And I'm coming down there and I'm going to pray. I told the people, I said, we'll be holding services this coming week from the jail. Come on down to the jail. I'll try to put something out the window so you can see what window I'm preaching from. Just like our brother on the wall when you came in today. Did you stop and see what kind of heritage we've got, what kind of legacy we enjoy, praise God. Our founders were not afraid. Those preachers back then were not afraid. Preached from the jailhouse and got persecuted for it. So I went down to pray. Sweetie remembers how it was. My sweet wife was with me. I, I thought they'd come up out of the audience. Some fellas with some wrappings on their heads were on the front row. They were going to bring some business to the supervisors. I was asked to give the invocation. I got up. I used the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I quoted about 30 scriptures, gave the plan of salvation, and a prayed prayer to repeat so people could be saved. And I prayed it in Jesus' name. And then I looked around. I said, come on, let's, let's get out of here before they lock us up. You know, they came and congratulated us and asked us to come back a second time. Amen. We need to acknowledge the Lord in all of our ways. If you have a job and God gave you that job, then you ought to use that job as an opportunity to stand up for Jesus. Now, don't steal time and effort from your employer, but on your breaks, you ought to be a witness. On your breaks, you ought to be a witness. And you ought to, you ought to be a blessing so that that employer says, it is good to have this person working here. We do better because this Christian is here. In your neighborhood, they ought to be thanking God that somebody knows which way is up and how to get to God. In your family, in your family gatherings, maybe not everybody is a born-again believer, but they ought to be glad that somebody is and that you are. I'm saying that among your associates and among those that you know, there ought to be people who are saying, nah, they might say, I'm not a Christian and I don't believe exactly like you do, but you got something. You got something that's real. Amen. Amen. 
because of that. <clears throat> we do not believe in Christians as Christians taking over the government and imposing Christianity supposedly on others. That is a matter of the heart. But I believe by the same token, just like I'm not going to go in there and take over the Supreme Court or the White House as a Christian to establish a Christian religion, neither should the government come in here and say, we're going to take over this church and tell you what you can and can't preach. Come on! And our forefathers, our founders, stood for what I just said. And that was not considered tyranny or treason when they said it. We fly the flag. We salute that flag just about more than any other church in the area. We stand up for patriotism and Americanism and what's right. But that's not my God. God has blessed this nation, but that flag is not my God. And that government, I'm talking about our government, of, by, and for the people is the great government, greatest government ever on the planet earth. But that government is not my God. My God is somewhat above this government. Amen. We must acknowledge Him. You ought to thank God for your job, but remember that your God is above that job. Your God is above every other thing, every other relationship, every other situation on the planet. God is. Thing was fulfilled. And afterwards, He blessed the Most High. He praised and honored Him that liveth forever. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing by comparison. And He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or say unto Him, What doest thou? At the same time my reason returned unto me for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me and my counselors and my Lord sought unto me and I was established in my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. Now you can apply this to just about any situation that we might include in our thoughts today. Any relationship, any circumstance you find yourself. We need to trust in the Lord. We need not to be lifted up with pride because we'll be brought low to destruction. We know that pride will destroy us. We know that a haughty spirit will trip us up. And our descent is going to be painful and costly. And God is going to permit that to teach us a lesson. In the meantime, if you are a broken person, if you are a wounded person, you're not out of place here because everybody has felt something, experienced something at some time in their life and if they haven't, at least the Lord Jesus Christ knows all about it. He knows what you're feeling and what you're going through. And I don't even want to place blame right now. I know that some folks have done to themselves what they're feeling right now. But I also know that others have done things to individuals that they're feeling right now. So without placing blame anywhere and without focusing on the one who has caused it because that's the devil's diversion, let us just think about the solution. Jesus Christ is still the answer. Turn to Jesus Christ. Receive Him as your Savior. Trust in Him for all of your life, for every decision, for every difficulty. Cast your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Give it all to Jesus. Let Him carry it in His mighty arms. Let Him carry you in His mighty arms. I used to sing a song. Don't sing it anymore. 
I want to spend my life mending broken people. And God has granted us that. Broken hearts, broken lives, broken relationships, broken society, broken government, broken churches, a lot of broken things. But He's the healer of broken hearts. He's the healer of broken lives. He wants to help you right now. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking. And how many of you today would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Amen. Amen. How many of you are glad that Jesus Christ is the great physician? He's the healer. Come on, raise your hands up. I'm glad He's the healer. I'm glad He fixes broken things. Right now, you may be one of those broken ones, wounded ones, hurting ones. Why don't you turn it all over to Jesus and let Him work on you and help you heal what's hurting, fix what's broken. Heads are bowed now, eyes are closed, no one's moving around, please. In the quiet of this moment, this is so important, this is the invitation. You'd say, I, I want that healing. I want, my heart feels broken. My life feels broken. Uh, my, my, my relationship is broken. Or some part of your life feels broken or wounded. Doesn't matter what caused it. Turn it over to Jesus right now. Right now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, you say, Lord Jesus, I want you to take my broken and wounded life or my broken and wounded relationship or my broken and wounded job situation or whatever it is and heal it. I turn it over to you. If you're not sure that you've ever been saved, if you can't remember a time and a place when you ever prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and save you, then right now is the time for you to do that. You say, well, what do I have to do? Do I have to join something? No. You simply have to acknowledge Him. Just pray from your heart. Just pray from your heart. Call upon the name of the Lord. And here's what you pray silently from your heart to God. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins. Take me to heaven when I die.